Thank you. Well, good morning. Happy bank holiday weekend. Back to the traditional British bank holidays of the rain, don't you think? <laughs> Mind you, I did think as I was driving in this morning and it was chucking it down, I did think, gosh, it makes me so grateful for the kind of summer we've had that it hasn't been like this every day, which it often is in a British summer. So praise the Lord. So we are continuing um, our short summer series on the Psalms, and uh, the, the brief was to pick our favourite psalm. Um, I'm one of those people that has sort of decision paralysis when I look into a box of heroes or a box of celebrations, and the box normally moves on past me because I can't decide which my favourite one would be because, you know, I have FOMO kicks in and, you know, do I like that one? Will I miss out? So picking a favourite psalm was a bit of a challenge. So I decided um, I would resort to the psalm that has, has been my sort of companion, really, for the last couple of years. Uh, Tim and I have, have found ourselves in a season where actually the psalms have really ministered to us and we've, we've read a psalm most mornings uh, for the last couple of years. But there's one psalm that I've gone back to over and over and over again over this last two-year period of time and it has ministered to my soul um, every day virtually. I've learnt it, I've committed it to my committed it to heart. I've sort of declared it out loud. It's been an incredible blessing. And uh, it is Psalm 23. And we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. As uh, I don't know if Tim has actually mentioned it this morning, but as many of you know, uh, our daughter is getting married on Saturday, which is a great excitement for the Grew family. Uh, So preparing a message on a psalm and being sort of mentally consumed with wedding lists means that I might have a bit of wedding Tourette's this morning. So, <laughs> so if I mention, if I lob out things like bouquet or bridegroom's speech or whatever, please forgive me. <laughs> so Psalm 23, uh, I think it's going to come up on the screen. Um, you might have it in your Bibles if you want to turn to it or if you want to switch a Bible on. I'm going to read it um, from the um, NIV version and it goes like this. It'll be very familiar to most of us, I'm sure. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So if you're here this morning and you have any degree of apprehension about your future, if you know what it feels like to be anxious about your circumstances and you're, not, you're wondering how you're going to get through a situation that you're facing at the moment. If you are here this morning and you feel far from God or you're doubtful about how he feels about you or whether he really does care for you. If you're walking through a valley of trouble or you're facing a future with a huge element of uncertainty on it, in it, this psalm is for you. 
God is going to encourage you through this psalm this morning. It was written by King David, as many of you will know, and he didn't write it from the ski slopes in the Alps, having a great time where life was going swimmingly, and uh, he had a lot to praise the Lord about. He was writing it, contemplating, maybe looking back on a past that had some hugely significant events in it, many of which were deeply painful and troubling. He was looking at, back at a past where he himself had committed murder. He had had attempts on his life and betrayal by close people, close friends. He'd had his own other made catastrophes, self-made catastrophes. And he was facing and in the midst of rebellion by his own son, Absalom. And in the place of huge challenge, David is reflecting on his God. He's reflecting on his relationship with God. And Mike Fuller reminded us last week as he spoke about Psalm 139, and if you haven't listened to it, I'd encourage you to to go online and catch up with it. Mike Fuller reminded us right at the outset of his reflection on that psalm that God is a God of relationship. God is a God of relationship. He's all about relationship. Jesus came to make relationship with God possible. That's what we've been celebrating this morning, so communion. Um, through communion. And the Bible uses all kinds of pictures to describe this relationship that we have with God. Some of them are, are, are literal pictures and some of them are metaphorical pictures. The Bible talks about us being sons and daughters, that when we're adopted into God's family, we become children of a king. That's a literal picture. It's a, it's a literal truth. God is a king and we become his children. The Bible talks about us becoming friends of Jesus. Jesus says, I call you friends. But then the Bible uses other metaphorical pictures. It talks about us being like clay and God being the potter. Us being like servants, God being a master. And in this psalm, it uses the picture, the metaphorical picture of God being a shepherd and us being the sheep. Today is a reality check day. Today is a reality check day about how God sees us. So why don't you just turn to the person next to you for a moment, just... Look them in the eye. Have a good old look at them. Check that you recognise them. Check that you can know what colour their eyes are. Now I want you to look at this picture on the screen because this is how God sees you both. Okay, this, I reckon Jesus is standing up here. Can we just look at the next one? And as he looks at his church... That is what heaven sees, I reckon. So if you think you're anything super, super special, on one hand you are, but on on the other hand, the Bible tells us that we are like sheep. And as far as I can see, nobody ever wants to be a sheep. I've never met a child who was gunning for the sheep part in the nativity play. I had four of them. None of them wanted to be the sheep. Alexandra Great said this, I was reading a motivational article uh, a few weeks ago, extraordinary, it was about sheep, and uh, it was encouraging its readers to uh, be sheepdogs, not sheep, Uh, and it quoted Alexander the Great, who said this, I'm not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep, I'm afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. Nobody wants to be a sheep, because sheep don't have much going for them. If I was to say to you, what's your, what, kind of, what animals do you love? What, think of an impressive animal. Think of an animal with some flair or some charm or something cool about it. 
You know, you might think of a lion and its roar. We've been thinking about the roar of Ju- we've been singing about the roar of Judah today. You might think of a shark and its kind of ferocity. It seems to me like young boys, my boys like sharks. They did presentations on sharks when they were at school. You might think of an elephant and its size and its sort of strength. You might think of a horse and its power. There are all kinds of animals that are super impressive. You might think of a cheetah. I know one of our sons, his favourite animal is a cheetah because it's so fast. Well, God picks sheep to describe us. Jesus picks sheep to describe us. Have you ever wondered why this psalm refers to us as sheep? David likens us to being like sheep. Jesus talks to, to us as, talks about us as being like sheep. God talks in Ezekiel about us being like sheep. Isaiah talks about us being like sheep who's gone, who've gone astray. Have you ever thought about why God chooses uh, to describe us like sheep? Well, I'll tell you this, it's not because of their strength. Sheep are not strong animals. Did you know that? They can't fight, they're totally defensive. Have you ever seen a sheep stand up on its rear, you know, legs to scare off a predator that was coming in its direction? Sheep can't even run with speed. They're totally defenseless animals who cannot protect themselves because they have no strength. Jesus doesn't call us sheep because somehow we have this great strength that we can look after ourselves. Jesus doesn't call us sheep. Jesus, I don't think, picks sheep because of their intelligence. Do you know sheep are really stupid animals? I'm sorry, sheep lovers, but it's true. Do you know in 2007, in Turkey, there was a huge flock of sheep uh, grazing up on some land near a cliff. And one of the sheep wandered towards the edge of the cliff and fell off down the side of the cliff. I don't know, I've got a little picture there. And 1,500 other sheep followed suit. (laughs) I know we laugh, but it was the livelihood of a number of farmers in Turkey. 450 of the sheep that followed suit first died. The next, however many, I can't do the sums, 750, 850 survived because there was such a cushion of sheep underneath them. (laughs) (laughs) But we won't laugh. Sheep are not sensible animals. They have no sense of direction. They wander off, they get lost, and they follow the crowd. And I don't think uh, Jesus chooses the metaphor to describe us as being like sheep either because of their courage. Because if you, again, if you've ever seen sheep, if you step into a sheep field and make a little bit of a noise and try and scare them, well, what do they do? They all run off, don't they? They're very easily frightened. And I'm pretty convinced Jesus didn't choose sheep because they taste good. I think Jesus chose the metaphor of sheep, that we are like sheep, because there is something really significant about sheep that sets them apart from most, if not all, other animals. And that is this, they cannot survive without a shepherd. They cannot survive without a human to look after them. Sheep will not survive on their own. They have to have a shepherd to survive. They need a shepherd to thrive. And without a shepherd, they're lost. Without a shepherd, at worst, they're in danger of falling off cliffs or of being a snack on wheels when there are predators around. And at best, they can't find grass, they can't find water, they cannot find what they need, and they won't last long. Without a shepherd, sheep are like toast. And they need a shepherd, therefore, who is going to look after them. Who is going to care for them? Who is going to guide them? Who is going to protect them? Who is going to rescue them? Who is going to 
lead them who they can follow. Jesus said we're like sheep because we need a shepherd. So you may run, you may be here this morning and you may run a really successful company. You may have a great paycheck or a great education. You may have lots going for you. You might live in a big house. You might have some amazing dreams. You might have loads of followers on Instagram. You might get tons and tons of likes every time you make a post on Facebook. But Jesus says, you're a sheep. And if you're a sheep, you need a shepherd. It's not an insult. He's not seeking to insult us. It's a reality check. We need a shepherd to follow. We need a shepherd to look after us. We need a shepherd to lead us and look out for us. Now, I'm sure that there are some of us in here that find the notion of being a sheep maybe a bit insulting. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about the fact that God sees you as that frankly ugly little animal up on the screen, and he does love us to pieces. I wonder if you find it an insult. For me, this psalm has been hugely significant over the last couple of years, as I said, because I find the notion of being a sheep a huge relief. I find it the most phenomenal relief because sheep don't need to strive sheep don't need to work out really hard how to look after themselves I don't have to be in control to be safe if I'm a sheep sheep don't work out how to keep themselves safe I don't have to perform to be valuable sheep don't have to perform and impress people to be valuable to their shepherd. Their shepherd has paid a price for them. They belong to the shepherd. They are the shepherd's livelihood. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I don't have to be performed to be valuable if I'm a sheep because I belong to the shepherd and I'm his and he lives for me and I can follow him. I find it a huge relief to be a sheep because I don't have to have everything worked out so that life is going to be okay. Sheep don't have to work out where they want to go and how they're going to get there in order to get there. They just need to follow the shepherd who's going to lead them. I find that a phenomenal relief. I find it a phenomenal relief that I don't have to know how to make life work, how to look after myself, how to get myself to food that's going to feed me, how to to look after my soul so it's not going to suffer. I'm a sheep and I find it a huge relief. All I have to do is stick close to my shepherd. The story uh, is told of a public reading competition that was entered by a number of people and there was a reading of Psalm 23 uh, amongst the competitors. And two of the people that were competing, were uh, two of the competitors were an actor and uh, a clergyman, an elderly clergyman. And the actor, it said, recited the uh, Psalm 23 out loud and was very impressive and used a lot of in, you know, intonation and inflection in his voice. And eventually it was this old clergyman's turn to uh, stand up and in a rather faltering voice, he began to read this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. And at the end of the competition, the judges put their heads together and they announced that the prize ended up going to the clergyman. And the minister turned around to the actor, who he thought had been super impressive, and he said to him, I'm really sorry that you didn't win. I thought your reading was magnificent. And the the actor turned around to the old clergyman and he said, do you know what? I think you deserve to win, and I'm glad you did. There was one big difference between your performance and mine. I know the psalm. You know the shepherd. 
And David, as he wrote this psalm, he knows the shepherd. As we read this psalm, we hear the voice of a man who knows a sheep, who knows his shepherd. You can hear it in the way he speaks about his shepherd. He's telling us something. He's reciting. He's declaring truths that he knows from experience rather than secondhand information he's had passed on to him from somebody else. He knows he's a sheep. He knows about the shepherd and he knows his shepherd personally. And he summarizes everything he knows beautifully about this shepherd in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd... I'll be fine. That's what verse one really means, isn't it? I will lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, so everything's going to be okay for me. I wonder if that's what you would say this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, everything's going to be okay for me. Because when you can face every, any and every kind of scenario and know that it's going to be okay, it means you've got a reason for believing that, isn't it? whether you've got a strategy or you know someone who can help you out or you've got some resources or you've got some experience. When you say, I'm going to be okay, you've got a reason for saying that. And David's basically summarising the psalm saying, the Lord is my shepherd, so I'll be fine. And do you know, bottom line, that's the truth of the gospel, isn't it? If you have Jesus, if we have Jesus, we have everything. If we have Jesus, we will be okay. That's the gospel in a nutshell, and David's saying it here. But he doesn't stop, stop there. He goes on, I think, he, you know, I'm imagining him, and I'm thinking, you know, gosh, he's, he's beginning to reflect on his shepherd. He's so full of gratitude. He's just got to say some more things about this shepherd that he knows so intimately. So he stuffs a few more things into the next five verses, and I'm just going to stuff those things into a couple of headings about this shepherd who is our shepherd, uh, who invites you to be uh, his sheep if you don't know him as your shepherd this morning. A couple of headings about this shepherd that David's describing. The shepherd is a shepherd who provides. You know, it's not new, it's not rocket science, but I don't, if you're anything like me, you need reminding about this over and over again. He is a shepherd who provides. That's why we can believe we're going to be okay, because he provides. Not only is he committed to providing for his sheep because they're his livelihood, uh, the extent to which he can take care of his flock, the extent to which he's able to provide for them, uh, is the extent to which they will be healthy isn't it? A bad shepherd will end up having sheep, but they will be pretty scrawny and not very healthy and not do very well. A great shepherd shepherd who can provide in amazing ways for his sheep will have a very healthy flock. And the shepherd provides. Look at what he provides if you've got your Bible open. Uh, look in the psalm. Verse 2, that summary phrase, everything we need. He provides everything we need. What do you need right now? What do you need right now? What is it that you're longing for God to provide? What is it that you need him to come through for on you, for you? What are you wanting God to provide? The shepherd provides for his sheep. And this, David is saying, we lack nothing. Verse three, he provides rest for his sheep. Specifically, sheep aren't very good at lying down, I've discovered. And if they lie down, they can't get up unless they have a shepherd. The shepherd knows when the sheep need to rest and he'll lead them to green pastures and make them lie down. He's a good shepherd and he wants you to know rest in your life. Physical rest and spiritual and emotional rest. And he wants to provide that for you. Verse 3, he provides water. 
He provides water for his sheep. He wants to quench their thirst, keep them alive. In uh, the valley, as as we walk through the valley, he promises to provide himself. You don't need to fear because I am with you. He promises to provide himself in the valley. Notice he doesn't protect us. You know, this this psalm is a declaration that he doesn't protect us from walking through the valleys. And some of us will be walking through dark valleys here this morning. He's a good shepherd, but he doesn't protect us from walking through the valleys. But he does say, when you're in the valley, I will be with you. When you're in the valley, I am with you. Valleys are part of the landscape for sheep. It's a painful truth, but valleys are part of the landscape for sheep. But we have a shepherd who's walking for us, uh, with us, and he doesn't leave us at the entrance of the valley and say, right, off you go, and I'll meet you at the other side. This psalm is saying, it's reminding us that he's walking through the valley with us. And let's remember what it says here, David's saying, when I walk through the valley. The valley is never the destination. The shepherd never takes his sheep to the valley to leave them there. The valley is the way through to a destination. So if you're in a valley this morning, if you find yourselves in a dark valley, what you do in a valley is you keep walking. You keep going. You don't set up camp. You don't decide, oh, this must be the destination because I can't see very clearly and I can't see where we're going. You just keep walking. You keep going. And he provides himself. Uh, He goes on to say he provides a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Again, there's a reality check. He doesn't say there's an absence of enemies. He'll clear the enemies and then we can sit down and feast and be nourished and be fed and... uh, The sheep are provided for in the presence of their enemies because it's the presence of the shepherd that keeps the sheep safe. And he provides protection from bugs. Look at that verse. You anoint my head uh, with oil. The shepherd provides protection from those things that will harm us. Uh, Sheep, apparently, are prone to getting flies, settling and... um, laying their eggs in their noses. I don't know if you knew that, doesn't sound very nice. And if the eggs hatch and the flies, um, well, I suppose the flies hatch, they, uh, they infect the nasal cavities and then the brain of uh, the sheep and they end up, you know, dying. Not a very nice thing. Sounds like a horrible disease. So when, there's, when, there's, when David is talking about the, the psalmist anointing the, the sheep's head with oil, what he's really saying is... I, he, you are going to protect me from the things that will destroy me, from the things that will destroy my relationship with you. He's a shepherd who protects. He looks after his sheep with such tender care. And I believe, I know we can always point to the things that we can say in life, Lord, I don't understand why you didn't protect me from that, or I don't understand why that happened. But I believe that when we get to heaven, we are going to see a whole pile of things that God protected us from that we had no idea about. I think there's a whole pile of things that God has shielded us from, has delivered us from, has looked out for us in, and we have had no idea. You know, if you're a parent here and you've had children, your children have no idea of the kind of stuff that you've protected them from. God loves us, and he promises to provide everything that we need. And in in that protection, David is saying here, in that provision is protection. And then verse 6, look at it. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's almost like David's going, well, I've named a few things that the shepherd provides, but let's just have a bucket title and throw everything in. Goodness and mercy follow me as a sheep 
every day of my life. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of watching a motor car in your rear view mirror, not motor, a motorbike in your rear view mirror that's got a flashing blue light on it. And you sort of begin to pull over and you think, oh, that's chasing somebody down. I wonder who that is. And then you realize that it's you. <laughs> have you ever had that experience? And you kind of, I don't know about you, but if you're me and you watch something like that chasing you or whatever else it might be chasing you, you kind of assume if you're me that you've done something wrong and you're just waiting to find out what it is or whether there's a fine. I was even stopped by a policeman when I was teaching one of my kids to drive. I couldn't understand what we'd done wrong. Um, you kind of assume that it's going to be bad news. David is saying there's goodness and mercy pursuing us every single day. If we look in our rearview mirrors... There's goodness and there's mercy. Maybe they're the names of angels. I don't know. Pursuing us with the provision that we need for that day. That is a phenomenal truth. If you learn one verse from this psalm, learn that one because it is an encouragement in any circumstance. Every single day, goodness is tracking you down. Goodness is on your heels. Goodness is in your rearview mirror. God is longing to pour goodness and mercy into your life. So David knows that the shepherd provides, and then David talks about the shepherd who guides. It's my other little heading. He's a shepherd who provides, and he's a shepherd who guides. I wonder if you're here and you could do with some guidance this morning. I wonder if you're here and you need some direction from God over a scenario in your life. Maybe it's over a relationship or over a job change or a housing move. Maybe there's a habit that you're wrestling with or a kind of breakthrough in your relationship with God and you're longing for some kind of guidance for God to lead you. Again, David is reiterating the truth that he's a shepherd who guides. He's a shepherd who leads. He's a shepherd who who goes ahead and shows us the way. As I've, I've mentioned, he leads us in verse 3. He leads us to water. He will always take us where we find and where we need food for our souls. He wants to provide for the needs of your soul, but he will also lead you to the place where your soul can be fed, where you can find the spirit for your soul. In verses 3 and 4, he leads us, he guides us in paths of righteousness. He teaches us how to live in his way. Again, what a relief to be a sheep. We don't have to work it all out for ourselves. He promises to lead us in paths of righteousness. He'll teach you how to, lead, how to live the way that will lead you into more and more life. He's always leading his sheep into more and more life, into more and more blessing. And even when we're in the valley, we're on our way to more and more blessing because that's who the shepherd is. He knows the best way to get us there. He knows how to make sure that we arrive safely. He knows the way through. He knows the way up. He knows the way on. He knows the way out. He's a shepherd who guides. And he guides us in our good times and in our dark times. I don't know if you know this. I discovered this in my research, that apparently sheep have really bad eyesight. They're quite good at listening, which is probably why Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. But they're really bad. They have really bad eyesight. And I reckon that's probably one of the reasons why when we're in dark valleys that we can't see very much because it's dark and we have really bad eyesight. <laughs> but he promises to lead and guide through the valley. Middle Eastern shepherds, I mean, I know you might, we might think of sheep as on you know, hillsides in Wales and we might think of sheep and sheepdogs in this country. But in the, in the Middle East, shepherds lead their sheep by going ahead. 
They go ahead to check the way, that it's safe, that it's going to be okay, that they can get their sheep safely to where they want to get them. Jesus is the shepherd that goes ahead and he will lead us and guide us to where he wants to get us. But as David points out, there is a rod and there is a staff in the shepherd's hand. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, David is saying here. And I don't know if you know about the rod and the staff. They are part of the shepherd's ability to protect his sheep. The rod is apparently a bit like a club. And it's one of the, the, the things, well, it's what the shepherd uses to uh, protect the sheep from wild animals and predators that may come, uh, come and threaten the sheep. But the rod and the staff are used for something else. And it's what I think David is referring to. The rod and the staff are used for guiding the sheep. They're part of the shepherd's guidance plan, as it were. So when the sheep wander off, he'll take his his staff, his crook, and he'll hook it round them and pull them back into line before they get into trouble. Or if the sheep has wandered quite a long way off, he'll take his his rod, his club-like thing, and he'll hurl it so that it lands in a position that will force the sheep to move back towards the shepherd. His staff and his rod are used as instruments of guidance to cause them to change direction. And effectively, therefore, they are symbols of the shepherd's correction of his sheep. Correction will always, in God's hands, intend to lead us to a change of direction. And it's interesting here, I think, that David uses the word comfort about these two things. Because if I was a sheep, and I, I know I am one, and I've got a hook around my neck pulling me back into line, or I've got a club landing over on this side to force me, perhaps slightly uncomfortably, to turn this way because he knows that there's a cliff edge over there and I'm going to fall off it, I'm not sure that I see that as being a particularly comfortable thing. I kind of tend to associate the word comfort with a nice warm blanket, maybe made out of sheep's wool (laughs) or hot chocolate. I don't tend to associate the word comfort with a staff or a club. But that's what God's going to use when we need a change of direction. Hebrews 12 talks about discipline, doesn't it? That God disciplines, he corrects those he loves. So if we're never corrected by God... Really, that tells us that we're not his children because Hebrews says it's a sign of being a child of God that he corrects us. Parents that don't train and correct their children, they're not super kind or super lovely or super amazing. They're just setting their kids up for circumstances down the line that are going to be to their detriment. So when a shepherd has wandering sheep, or sheep that are missing the track that he wants them to be on because that's where the pasture is or that's where the life is, he's going to get out his staff and he's going to get out his rod. And David says, that comforts me. Now, I don't know about you, I find that really challenging because I don't like correction. Anyone here like correction? Maybe a few of us, I don't know. So I ask myself, and I ask you this morning, how correctable are you? Do you know the shepherd's rod and the shepherd's staff? How correctable are you? How easy is it for the shepherd to guide you away from an area or an angle that you're going on? 
because actually he knows better and it's not very safe for you? How easy is it for the shepherd to correct you because actually over here is the life that you're after, not over here? How do you respond when you're confronted or corrected in any way? God uses his rod and his staff in two main ways in our lives. The first one is the word of God. You know, it's the most obvious way that God corrects us, isn't it? When we're reading the word and we see something and it convicts us or it challenges us. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Do you kind of explain it away? Do you go for the kind of commentary that sort of slightly nullifies that word and means that you don't have to wrestle with it and you don't have to pray and ask him to help you to put it into practice in your life? What do you do with that? One of the the main way that he corrects us is through his word. And then the other main way he corrects us is through others. Whether it's through a family member or a, a boss or a colleague or a friend or a neighbor who's got something to say to us that we don't really want to hear. What do you do when that kind of correction comes into your life? The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. And humble people, when we're at our most humble, we're at our most correctable. And if you're anything like me, I struggle with that. I struggle to bring humility to correction. And we live in a day and age, don't we, where offence rules. And we can see that all over social media, where offence rules. But actually, John Wimber used to say, and I love it, I remind myself of it so often, John Wimber used to say, God offends the mind to reveal the heart. It's when our minds are offended that we discover what's in our heart. How much more of God do we really want? How much more of the life that he's offering us do we really want? And are we willing to pursue it in humility, in a different direction to the one that we might have thought we would have found it? How correctable are we? David is saying the prospect of being corrected by God brings him comfort. And I reckon if, you know, if I'm a sheep and I recognize my vulnerability to walking off cliffs and following other people, or to not being able to find the food and the pasture and the life and the direction and the fulfillment and the purpose that I'm after, if I recognize my my vulnerability as a sheep, maybe I'm going to see that correction as more of a blessing than a curse. I don't know about you. David says, The Lord is my shepherd, so I'll be fine. I've lost my job, but I'll be fine. My bank balance isn't looking too good, but I'll be fine because the Lord's my shepherd. I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling rejected. I'm feeling really isolated, but I'll be fine because the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm just a sheep. I find that such a relief. I'm a sheep. He'll provide. He'll guide. You're a sheep. He'll provide for you. He'll guide for you. Such a relief. It's such a blessing. And the amazing thing about this psalm is the burden of responsibility here is not equal, is it? The shepherd does it all. This is not an even equal relationship. It's not tit for tat, Jesus, I'll do this for you and you'll do this for me. It's not we do each other favours. I don't deserve anything from God this week because I've not really done much for him. This is all about grace, isn't it? It's an uneven burden of responsibility. The shepherd basically does it all. It's a totally out of balance relationship. What do we have to do as sheep? It's really simple. We just have to stick close to the shepherd. That is it. We just have to stick close to the shepherd. 
And I don't know about you, but I make that so complicated. I think we can make it so complicated. Religion makes it complicated. This is a picture of the beautiful relationship that we're invited into with God. A relationship of grace where he does it all. He looks after us. He cares for us. He provides for us. He protects us. He leads us. He guides us. He shows us the way. And we just have to stick close to him. It's as simple and as complicated as that. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd and I'll be fine. I wonder if you can say that this morning. Why don't we stand?